so, so good to be with you this morning. We have a It's nice to be able to hear the sermon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. And I am counting the days to be your ministerial intern. Trust me. So the other night, I found myself staring mouth agape at my computer lost in images of both children and adults, lined up outside bookstores in witch and wizard costumes. Here they were anxiously awaiting the clocks to strike midnight so that they could pick up their reserved copies of the next Harry Potter installment. Do you remember these days? Yes. And it made me think, we humans love great stories, don't we? Myths told and passed down by our ancient ancestors, acted out in plays, sung and performed through music, written, illustrated, filmed. Maybe we see them as escapes from the toil of our lives, a momentary respite from our own stories. We need that sometimes. Maybe stories help us to name our own stories, right? Help us to recognize something we didn't see before, telling us something about ourselves or our fellows that we might have otherwise missed. Maybe we love a particular story and return to it over and over again, and it isn't until years later that we really understand why. No matter how we enter stories, there is always a why. Entering stories, getting gripped by them, all of this is ancient, ancient stuff. It's human stuff. I would call it spiritual stuff. Myth and storytelling still are, many would say, conduits, pathways into our deepest of selves, the root of the root of ourselves, as Rumi so beautifully puts it. Joseph Campbell has said that myth helps you to put your mind in touch with this experience of being alive. I mean, that's what we all want, right? To be put back in touch with this experience of being alive. After all, it is this brushing up with the experience of being alive that is spirituality, is it not? It's my kind of spirituality. So my father and I share a wonderful memory. One of our favorite things to do was to watch Charlie Chaplin films when I was a little girl. My father was a huge fan and he must have been overjoyed to find an ally in me because I loved them too. And our favorite one is called The Circus. 
I don't know if any of you have seen that particular film. Made in 1928, written, directed, composed by, and starred in by Charlie Chaplin, portraying his famous character, The Tramp. Now, I think I have seen this film well over 200 times, and the story is this. A circus is in town, and the general culture of this traveling show is an oppressive one. The ringmaster is an angry, greedy bully of a man. He continuously beats his daughter, who stars in the show. And the workers, the other acts, even the clowns are a miserable, broken lot. The show itself, no surprise here, is dying. Crowds are sparse, and the few people that do show up seem to absorb the dismal joylessness of this place, turning quickly into demanding, disgruntled hecklers. So the story revolves around this place, but really the story is the story of the tramp. He lives on the streets. He is homeless. He scrapes and pillages for food. He sleeps where and when he can. He moves through city and countryscapes looking for work, looking for companionship, looking for love. But he is pathless and unrooted to society or any one person. In fact, every story depicting the tramp begins and ends with him alone. And he is a fool. He's our hero, but he is also our fool. So the fool is what's called an archetype. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, archetypes are seen as symbolic images from the past that embody the collective experience of humanity, right? We can find them in countless places, in ancient myth, in religion, in pop culture, the tyrant, the heroine, the healer, the rebel, the orphan, the old sage, the wizard or witch. These are all examples of archetypes. Now, Carl Jung has said that we as human beings are literally pre-programmed to look for archetypes in our lives because they serve as a framework, a scaffolding for our understanding of the world, for better or worse. So it can be said that we are, whether we know it or not, seeking out archetypes to extract, extract some kind of meaning from. And this might be why we humans are so drawn to story, religion, myth. They offer up archetypes that help us to make sense of ourselves and make sense of being alive. So the fool archetype is often interpreted as being the inconsequential trickster or joker, right? But in actuality, the fool is a great and unexpected vessel of wisdom, often presented in the form of a comedic, rag-wearing character. Yoda from the Star Wars epic. This is a great modern example of the fool. 
You see, most people will never see the fool as a great teacher. Oftentimes, the fool doesn't even know it themselves. And those that do see it are irrevocably changed or gifted with an awakening of sorts. They evolve and are often liberated in some way. And those that don't stay stagnant and often continue to suffer. They miss out on the message and the messenger. How many of us have experience with this in our own lives? Missing the message or missing the messenger? So back to our stories, fool, the tramp. Not unsurprisingly, he finds himself enmeshed in the circus that I was describing. Upon running away from the police, he stumbles into the middle of a live performance and suddenly the audience comes to life watching this unexpected clown fumbling through the ring and the act ends in uproarious laughter and applause. And this is where the rest of the story unfolds. You see, he is deceptively hired on by this ringmaster as a poorly paid prop handler who now every day enters the ring to set up an act and every day inadvertently creates comic mayhem, selling out more and more seats. He's the star of the show and he does not know it. And despite being a victim in this exploitative system, he stands separate from it. He's unchanged, unfazed by it. You can probably guess that he becomes the great liberator in the story. His very presence in this dark and dismal place brings light, joy, and reconciliation to the oppressive ring. And this is the possibility of the fool archetype, a key that unlocks our own creative spirit, our own resilience, our own childlike hope. By the end of this story, the circus is leaving town and the tramp stands beside the departing caravan. This was my favorite, favorite part. He sits down on an old barrel and stares at the ground the indent of the circus ring is are surrounding him. And his shoulders slump and we wonder for the first time if the circus has ultimately broken him. And suddenly this large piece of paper gets kicked up in the wind and blows into his lap. He opens it and discovers on it a picture of a star, a remnant from one of the circus acts. He crumples it up looks into the distance, and then stands up, pulls his shoulders back, playfully kicks the crumpled up paper star with one of his outturned feet, turns his back to us, and walks off into the distance, each step becoming more and more bounding and buoyant, cane twirling. And my father and I always cried at this ending, and I still do. A few years ago, I decided to write about what this film was for me, a story I'd been drawn to over and over and over again throughout my life. And out of this exercise came the realization that while I didn't know it as a child, my father and I were seeking refuge in this story. 
I should tell you that my father suffered horribly from an untreated mental illness that was a living, breathing member of my family. Its symptoms included a jarring and constant pendulum swing between radiant joy and pummeling grief, anger, and despair. And the tramp character called to him in some way. I believe he took solace in this fool's childlike ray of hope and joy set against a backdrop of oppression and suffering. I know for myself that I mainly loved the laughter we were sharing together watching this film, but as an adult, I could see that I too needed a message of love and light, a message of hope. When we live with untreated mental illness, all are indeed affected. Sitting with my father, the tramp provided safe passage to what I now call the realm of the spirit for both of us. Because transcendence and soul rearrangement was available here. It was literally born up and out of being able to identify with the love, identify with the suffering, identify with the laughter, identify with the hopelessness, identify with the oppressor. Yes, we have this in us too, right? Someone who lives with unchecked pain and anger and aims it at their fellows and identify with their transformation, their redemption, their humanity. This is the potential of story if we are up for taking a closer look. It can literally grip the in potential inside all of us. You see, we can access these archetypes within ourselves and our own stories as a way to heal ourselves. We heal ourselves when we know ourselves, and when we know ourselves, we can know others. This is where we start, my friends. Our outer work, our outward-facing justice-centered work depends, depends on this kind of inner healing and knowing, this kind of soul-searching and rearrangement. I call this living intensely in this world. And when we access this, live intensely into this, we begin to open to our fellows because we begin to see how alike we humans are. Hear that. We are more alike than we are different. We all share in this thing called humanity. What stories offer this potential to you? What stories do you take refuge in, maybe without even knowing it? What stories have you lined up for in which in wizard costumes? Oh, I have a little friend who wanted to join the conversation. 
Have you ever lined up for a story? Why? Why? There might be an answer in there that makes the asking so, so worth it. And this is something we can practice together. This week, let's reflect on one story that has gripped us in our lives. Let us all ask ourselves, why? Maybe you want to share this with someone. Maybe not. That's okay. Author Susan Monk Kidd writes, the stories have to be told or they die. And when they die, we can't remember who we are or why we are here. I would add that they have to be listened to as well, right? And that when we know why we are listening to them, why we feel gripped by their telling, we live more intensely in this world. We live more connected to one another. We remember who we are and why we are here. May this be so for you. May this be so. Please rise in body or in spirit and join us in singing hymn number 168, One More Step.